there was a, a syndicated TV show called The Beverly Hillbillies. Anybody remember that? You could probably sing the theme song, right? Um, the premise of the story was this kind of backwoods country bumpkin family lived in the Ozarks, and they lived in poverty, in like a shack and all of that, and they had nothing. And one day, Uncle Jed, he was shooting at some food. What happened next? Up from the ground came a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Texas tea. There you go. I forgot the rest of it. But somehow his bullet hit the ground, and he realizes, they realize, they have been living on this, you know, million-dollar oil field. And so they took uh, their family and all their stuff, and they moved to Beverly Hills in Southern California, bought a big mansion and all that. But you could, they, they moved out of the country bumpkin, but you couldn't get the country bumpkin out of them. They still lived in like poverty weird things and would have shacks and make it feel like home to them, like it, like it was when they were in poverty. I think a lot of Christians do that too. When we do not know the riches that we have in Christ Jesus, we still tend to live in the, the old way. And uh, in Matthew... Jesus says this in Matthew 13. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. That's the point. Like, there, the, the man who bought the field, the man who bought the pearl, understood the great price, the great value that was there. We're going to talk about that this morning. Um, a couple weeks ago, we kicked off a series in the book of Romans. And I love the book of Romans, and we've been kind of trying to tackle it chapter by chapter for the most part. Today, we're in, in Romans chapter 5. And if you remember last week, we talked how Paul made his case in chapter 4, that everything we do is by faith. And the question that I want you to wrestle with this morning is, do we know what we have in Jesus? Are you living in the reality of what Jesus has done for you on a daily basis? There's several things Paul tells us what Jesus means for us in this chapter. And the first one is this. Jesus justifies us. Jesus justifies us. Justification is a word that Paul uses a lot in the book of Romans and Galatians and in other spots. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, therefore, having been justified by faith. Now, justification by faith means that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is credited to you and I when we agree with Jesus that He is Savior and Lord. It's, he, he, he makes us right with, with God. Jesus justifies us. He is our justification. To justify means to be aligned with God. We use that when you're typing a Word document. 
you up, make sure your, your letters, your typing is aligned correctly. And so to justify means to align correctly. Now, sin misaligns us from God. And that goes for every human being that's ever lived. It's out of alignment, so to speak, with God. But when, when we align ourselves with God through Jesus, we are coming into agreement with Him on what He means for us and what He has done for us. Sin creates a brokenness in our life, a prison of brokenness. But faith is the key that unlocks that cell and opens the door for us to learn now how to live by faith. Second thing we're going to see is this. What does Jesus mean for us? He justifies us, and Jesus is our peace. He's our peace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Many years ago, one of my favorite just stories and experiences in my walk, especially in, in ministry, happened. My good friend Barry Wilmarth and his wife Terry are part of Novation, and I've known Barry for a long time. And uh, his dad, years ago, had lung cancer and was basically told that he wasn't going to live very long. And Barry called me one day and he said, hey, um, would you come and just talk to my dad about the Lord? Would you come and share the gospel with him? Because he's not sure what he believes. He's kind of semi-agnostic at best. And uh, so I went over, and Barry was with me, and we talked with Jack. His name was Jack. And I gave him my best apologetics. You know what I'm talking about? Like why there's a God, and Jesus answers the big questions of life. And, and as I left, I felt like, that was all just falling on deaf ears, like the parable of the sower where the, the bird comes and steals the, the seed, or as Jesus interpreted it as the word of God, and take, the devil takes it away, and it doesn't penetrate the soil. And I was kind of bummed. I was discouraged, to be honest with you. And probably a week or so later, Barry says, hey, my dad would like to talk to you again. And he said, but I, I can't be there with you. You're going to kind of be on your own, but um, he'd like to talk to you. So I set up a time to meet him. And Jack, you know, had lung cancer from smoking. And I, I walk in the house. It smells like smoke. And he's smoking a cigarette. And we sat down at his kitchen table. I remember it like it's yesterday. And as we sat down to talk, I felt like the Lord prompted me to just read Romans 5, 1. And I said, Jack, can I read something from Scripture to you? He said, sure. And I read, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jack goes, time out. He said, I've always believed that there was some sort of God or higher power or creator he said it just like this. He said, I never knew what to do with this Jesus feller. Yeah, he said, this Jesus feller. And I said, he said, but from what you just read to me, I come to God through this feller named Jesus. I said, Jack, spot on, right on. I said, do you want to come to God through Jesus? He said, I do. And he lit up a smoke, and we prayed right there, and he came into agreement, and he came to God through 
Jesus. And about a week later-ish, he passed away. And at his memorial that I had the privilege of doing, I shared with family and friends that story. And I said, before you start wigging out, we all know Jack wasn't a religious guy, a churchgoer, much of that. I said, and then I shared the, the story of the thief on the cross and how at the last minute he said, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He said, assuredly, you'll be with me in paradise today. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when Jack left this world, he went to go be in paradise with Jesus because he came to God through Jesus, his son. Jesus is the prince of peace. He's not only our peace with God, he's the great peace giver. He gives peace that the world can't give. He said, my peace I leave with you, not peace as the world gives, but my peace. Worldly peace is based upon circumstances. If life's going good, I'm not going through a difficulty, then I'm at peace, right? But as soon as life throws us curveballs or difficulties, we tend to lose our peace or we give it away. But his peace supersedes difficulties. His peace supersedes um, trials and struggles. There's a, I love the story in the Gospels where Jesus and the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee in a boat, a small fishing boat, and the winds and the waves came out of nowhere, and they all thought they were going to drown and die. And it says that Jesus was in the back of the boat asleep. Think about that. And they came to him and said, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die. And he's probably rubbed his eyes and got up and rebuked the winds and the wave, and uh, they were blown away. That'd be like this. You're in an airplane, and all of a sudden, doot, doot, all the emergency things go on. The oxygen masks fall, and your plane is just headed straight down. You, this is what you're feeling. Jesus is in the back row by the bathroom sawing logs, not even worried about the plane crashing, because he knew who was in control, and he gave over control to, the, to his father. Jesus is a human just like us. Though he's God, he's also experienced life like you and I experience life. He's the Prince of Peace. Jesus justifies us. Jesus is our peace, and Jesus is our hope. He is our hope. Paul continues, he says, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Last week, we talked about living a life of faith and that we're justified by faith and what, what Romans 4 all talks about. And um, if you remember, I showed a video from the New Orleans Saints linebacker who at his press conference after a win didn't say anything about the game and just talked about this miracle that God had done for his daughter who had a terrible epileptic seizure. 
And he gave all the praise to God. And we talked about having the faith for a breakthrough, the faith of Abraham and Sarah to believe God for a child at 100 years old. As I was leaving, I talked to Alicia Dennis. And um, we, we got to talk, and she said, I, I totally agree with that, and it's amazing. But what about those times where God doesn't answer our prayers the way we wanted him to? What happens when the miracle doesn't happen? Someone's sick, and you pray for their healing, and they don't get healed. What do, you, what do we do? And I think Paul just said it right here. There is a faith and grace to believe God for a miracle, to interrupt a situation and change it like that. There's also a faith and grace to persevere in trials and struggles. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I would encourage any of you, keep seeking God for your miracle. Keep seeking Him for breakthrough, but also trust Him for grace to persevere and to transform your faith into something that's solid rock, built on the solid rock of Jesus. I would challenge you this today if you're struggling with, well, God didn't answer my prayer the way I had hoped for. He, he did it for Kevin, why not for me? He did it for that linebacker, why not for me? It's easy to go down that road. But it makes me think about this, and I will remind you. Jesus creates this big following, this celebrity status, this coach prime status, if you will, by feeding the 5,000. People were following him. Let's follow this guy. He's, he's the Messiah. Look at what he's doing. And Jesus in the Gospel of John gives a hard word to the masses about what it means to be his disciple, forsaking all, self-denial, all of that. And it says that Jesus looked up and all those thousands of people had fled except for the 12 that were his disciples. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where are we going to go, Lord? You have the words to eternal life. That's what I want you to say. When you feel like giving up, when you feel like leaving, remind yourself, where am I going to go? Jesus holds the word to eternal life. There is nowhere else to go. We stay following Jesus in the good and the bad and the difficult and the trials and the sorrows, and we celebrate the good, the good when it happens as well. That's what we have to do. Hope is the confident expectation of God's faithfulness. In spite of circumstances and what I see, you put your hope in the promises. You put your hope in the right things. We can't put our hope in people because people can be taken away from us through sickness and death. We can't put our hope in money because that sure is fleeting. You can't put our hope in our careers Anything that can be taken away, don't put your hope, ultimate hope in that. Put your hope in Jesus' promise of eternal life, His promise of peace in spite of circumstances, and He provides that hope that can't be shaken. That's what Kevin was testifying about this morning. I mean, he barely scratched the surface of things we've walked through. Uh, the story of how him and Amen got pregnant with Jonathan and the backstory behind that and the heartache and the grief. He persevered in hope. 
And then Jesus, he's the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us. The ultimate demonstration of God's love for you. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for the good person someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies or at enmity, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation." You ever wondered if God loves you? Get a bad report, difficult circumstances. If you ever wonder if God loves you, let me encourage you this. Look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That cross represents God's love for you. Because sometimes we, we determine God's love by the wrong avenues. Sometimes we, we look at our circumstances. We think, if God really loved me, and the evil one loves to, to lie to us, if God really loved me, then I wouldn't be going through this. If God really loved me, that person wouldn't have betrayed me. If God really loved me, you know, we wouldn't go through what we're, we're going through. But listen, circumstances in this life do not determine whether God loves you or not. Ask the disciples, who all were persecuted and beaten and died brutal deaths, except for John, for, for the, the cause of the gospel. In parts of the world today, there are people who have to hide what we're doing for fear of being killed or persecuted. Are they going, does God really love me, you know, if we're being persecuted? No. You're going to be, persecution is inevitable. We just have never experienced it in our world um, to what the degree they have. Paul didn't think God didn't love him. They counted, it, they counted it joy to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Man. So feelings are not a good determination because feelings come and go. I mean, if you can relate to me, sometimes God feels a million miles away. Like, where are you, God? I don't hear you. The feelings aren't a good... that We need something solid, and it's the cross. People can't be God's... Uh, determining God's love for us, because people are broken and are going to hurt us too. So it's the cross, it's sacrifice, it's sacrificial love that shows us how much God loves us. Love sacrifices, and love was sacrificed on the cross. So maybe in a practical way, we demonstrate love for one another in a God-like manner when we sacrifice for one another. When you sacrifice for your spouse, when you sacrifice for your family, for your parents, for your friends, for your home group, your core group, your community, your workplace, we demonstrate God's love when we live sacrificial as well. And then lastly, this big whole thing Paul talks about is that Jesus 
What does he mean for us? He reversed the curse. He reversed the curse. I think all the other things of Jesus justifying us, being our, our, our peace, being our hope, demonstrating God's love for us, are all a byproduct of Jesus reversing the curse. When I say reversing the curse, what am I talking about? Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve were given stewardship over the garden, God called it good. He called them good. And he told them, he said, listen, you're free to eat of any of the trees in the garden. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm reserving that for myself. He said, if you do eat of it, I'm warning you, death will enter into humanity. And what'd they do? They ate. And death entered into humanity and has been our enemy until this man named Jesus came in human flesh just like us to, to conquer death, to now turn death into a doorway into eternal life, something that's no longer needed to be feared. I need a drink before this passage because it's a lot. Ah. Did I really just go, ah, I did. Sorry about that. <laughs> My bad. I was parched. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all mankind because all sinned. For until the law, the law of Moses, sin was in the world, but sin is not counted against anyone when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. That's Jesus. But the gracious gift is not like the offense. For if by the offense of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one offense, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the gracious gift arose from many offenses resulting in justification. For if by the offense of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and have the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Catch this. So then, as through one offense, the result was condemnation to all mankind. So also through one act of righteousness, the result was justification of life to all mankind. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the offense would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <laughs> wow. The great reversal. The true and greater Adam, the second Adam. Adam blew it as our representative. He was the representative of humanity. He blew it. And we've all messed up 
ever since. And death reigned until Jesus. But the true Adam, the prototype of what it means to be human in the person of Jesus, to be self-denial, to be others-centered, to be self-sacrificial to others, to walk in love, in peace, in joy. Jesus is the new representative of humanity, and the good news is we're supposed to go out and tell everybody about what He's done in this great reversal. People don't know, and they're living in darkness, living in pain and depression, and even we as believers don't sometimes just live in the middle of that. And it's, we're human. We're broken. We're not human yet. We're becoming human. Sometimes people say that, I'm only human. Well, I'm actually not human yet. Jesus is the only one to really be human in how he lived his life. We're becoming what we're supposed to be like him. This is my favorite illustration of Jesus reversing the curse. And it's, it's my Rocky's sock. How many know they're a little out of alignment right now? <laughs> they need to be justified. When Adam, at the end of Genesis 2, let this sock represent that, God called it good. He said it's good. And when they chose to determine what was good and evil and right and wrong in their own eyes, and they allowed sin to enter into the world and humanity, by that sin, they turned what was good inside out. Turn what was good inside out. Jesus, in his incarnation, through his life, death, and resurrection, he went into the belly of the fall through his life, through his suffering, through the cross, and through his death. And in his resurrection, he turned it right side out again. That's the gospel. You can use this if you want to. <laughs> it's the gospel. We have all been turned inside out and misaligned because of sin, but through what Jesus did, he turned it inside out, right side out again so that we can now walk in our true purpose. That's what Jesus means to us. We're going to sing about it. Will you stand? How many know this is really good news? That's what we should be meditating on. Not, we give more credit to the fall of Adam than we do to the finished work of Jesus. Give more credit to the finished work of Jesus than the fall of Adam. Let that now become your starting point and let him work in and through your life. Lord, as we sing, break the chains of bondage that we have in, in our, our, our this chains of doubt and in, in, in wrong thinking about you and the gospel that we would think rightly about you. As we sing, fill us fresh and new. In Jesus' name. We belong to you, Father. Love's come. no longer brought into your light and freedom by the blood and the mercy of
of Jesus. It's rising, it's rising, the song of hope for must set free. It's rising, it's rising, it's rising up. Hallelujah to you. say other than thank you and praise you you're so wonderful and so good so gracious and Lord we just agree and pronounce your victory over sin death and the evil one help us to live in the freedom that that brings Lord we know that 
in this life we're not perfect but we're being perfected help us to participate and cooperate with you in the Holy Spirit and what you're doing in each one of us I thank you for the testimonies that are in this room and watching online of your goodness your faithfulness Lord heal ailments and bodies that need to be healed heal emotions heal minds heal relationships there's no one greater than you you're the king of kings and the lord of lords our hope is in you and you alone you're enough in your name we pray amen